Welcome to Inside Track, a conversation with New York's leading property management executives. I'm Carol Ott with Habitat Magazine, and my guest today is Michael Wolf, property management president at First Service Residential. New York City's Climate Mobilization Act is like a freight train barreling toward us. It's coming, it's big, its impact will be great, and it carries significant fines. Michael, some buildings are focusing on the fines and finding that the cost of paying these each year is more palatable than the cost to reduce their carbon emissions. What do you think about this strategy? I think the strategy may work for some buildings for the first couple of years, but it certainly won't be a long-term approach. And the reason for that is that the fines will continue to escalate on an annual basis. So at some point, the boards do have to focus on this and take the necessary steps to reduce the fine as close to zero as possible. Do you think there'll be some buildings who will not be able to get it to zero just because of the way they're structured? Certainly possible. You know, as we all know, this is based on carbon emissions. So each building has different use within its own building. It has different operating procedures, may have different systems. You know, everything's doable, but the question will be at what cost to the people that live in those buildings. Speaking of cost, everybody talks about figuring out the return on investment of certain carbon reduction actions, but some of the strategies involve physical work in everyone's apartment. So how does that get factored in in a board's decision-making? Well, we certainly have to think about the inconvenience or let's even say people that have to leave their apartments for an extended period of time. So I think what's really important is for buildings to take the necessary steps to understand what they need to do as a building. You know, it's very easy to say we want to reduce carbon to zero, right? But what do we do to get there? So a particular building may have to change their boiler. Maybe they don't have to do things in people's apartments. The goal of this act is really to make the buildings electric, right? Change the infrastructure for the city, electrify each building, remove fossil fuels from the equation in each particular building. Some buildings may have an easy task. Some have no penalties in the first phase. They may have very little penalties in the second phase, but we have buildings that are really, really in trouble. And what I say by trouble is the cost of the change, and you talked about payback periods, we're talking about decades to recoup that money, but not only recouping it, but how do you pay for it out of the gate? I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact you just brought up, Carol, is what goes on in people's apartments. So we have building systems that we're going to address, right? How do we reduce those carbon footprints? But in individual apartments, the goal would be to put, for example, heat pumps in each apartment. And how do we do that? How do we run the pipes? How do we upgrade people's electricity within those apartments, right? What about egress? What about the paths? There is so much more that goes into this. So buildings have to be prudent. They need to get a carbon study. They need to understand how their building relates to Climate Mobilization Act, what it's going to cost to get as close to zero or at zero as possible. And that really is the first step because we could speak in the abstract all day, not meaning me and you, but everyone in general. But it's super important to understand, the fa- receive the facts and understand them. If a building hasn't done a carbon study at the moment, are they late to the game? It depends. And what I say depends is, do they face a penalty in this current first phase, right, based on 24 data. They probably will not be late to the game, but if you're facing a penalty now, you're late already. But most buildings that the city says and energy experts say, the majority of buildings will not be facing fines in the first round in 2025, at the end of 2024. It's 2030, where I think it's projected that 80% of buildings will be facing some fine. Correct. So let's look at that 80%. 
So let's take a building that's facing fines in 30 and they're doing absolutely nothing. And who knows what the date was for them to start the phase of exploring their option. How many vendors are in the city to do this work? What about the supply chain? What happens within your building? You need a lot of years of planning for this. So there is word on the street that perhaps the fines will be delayed. There's conversation about maybe the fines being lowered. However, nothing is a fact at this point. So even if you're facing fines in 30, it's very prudent to get the information in your hands. Plan, plan accordingly. What if you're a building that's facing a few million dollars worth of work and you could phase it in over the next seven years, right? That's kind of a win. But if you're facing tens of millions of dollars, you need to know that, right? You need to know what you're facing. So no time is like now to really understand what you are facing as a building and they will be different every single building. And on top of that, buildings are constructed differently. Look at the buildings that ran to Con Edison and were able to get gas to their building foundation at no cost. They may have put new equipment in, they put in a new gas line. They're not you know, rushing to change that equipment they put in four or five years ago, right? So they need to understand what that would do for them along with other modifications within their building. It's not going to be an easy fix for a lot of people. Just give me a sense of timing though. If you have not done a carbon study, it's now 2023. And let's say you do know you're facing fines or some fines in 2030. Is it doable now in the seven years left to get the study done, to do the planning, to get the vendors, to get the financing, to get the votes, to whatever you have to get? Absolutely. There's no doubt it's doable. The question is, can you do it? So what I say that is, if you're a building that's looking at tens of millions of dollars, that's not an easy lift. Right? That's why you need to know now. You could put that study in your pocket. If you came to me and you were one of my clients, Carol, and you said, all right, Michael, let's go forward. Let's get a carbon study done, get the paperwork in. Is there an ISERTA grant? You know, What opportunities could we have to share in the cost of this? It'll probably take a year by the time you have that report in your hand. People are backed up. There's people in front of you. There's buildings that want to get this study done. It's a very deep dive. There's a lot of data in it. They could be a 100-page report. So not only that, right? So now we initiate, right? We start the process of getting the report. Then we get the report. We don't just say, all right, this looks great. Let's just do it. We're going to digest the information. We're going to see what other options there are. Maybe we want a peer review. How do we phase this in? Do we accept some penalty? There are so many moving parts and not one size fits all. And that's why it's so important to know where you stand as a building. So for a board to be proactive today, Outline some of the steps that you think are imperative that they take. Well, if you're a building that's going to face fines in 25, you should have had your carbon study either done or in process and understand what you're doing now. Buildings in 2030, do they have a little bit of time? Could I make an argument or have a discussion saying, hey, you know, that word of the street may come true and the fines may be less, they may be deferred. There's talks about you know, not having this implemented as far as the fines are concerned for five to seven years. There may be tax abatements, but that's kind of like looking at the rainbow, right? What happens over the rainbow? I want information. So if I'm a building that is in the penalty phase of 30, which will be approximately 80% of the buildings, I want to start now because there's no harm in having that study. It doesn't mean you have to implement it, but why not have the data? and understand what steps I could take. And then you can kind of sit back a little bit, maybe wait to see what happens. If you could push this out 
for many years or if the fines will be lower. But to not have the data in your hands probably is not the most prudent step. And let me just ask you, I mean, you had mentioned earlier that the ultimate goal is to electrify buildings. So as we go along, everybody does apartment alterations. Is there something that a board should be requiring of their apartment owners in terms of the alterations in preparation for the future? Well, we talk about, you know, making it mandatory or maybe a recommendation. So one of the things that I have been doing is recommending to our property managers, to our boards, you know, you got rehabbing a, a kitchen, for example, and you're a gas building. Why not run a dedicated line behind that area of that stove or that cooktop that you're using now? It's very inexpensive to proactively run dedicated lines of electric to areas that are using gas. Have that ready for you. Can a board require that in an alteration agreement? They can require it as a condition of approval. And then we should also look at, you know, how many amps are in a building. So if you're a pre-war building, let's say you have a 60 amp service, it's certainly not enough for a modern upgrade. It's certainly not enough for central air, induction tops, you know, if you want to put a sub-zero in or, you know, fancy appliances. So we have to be cognizant of that as well. So I think that's all part of the equation. I think if you're somebody renovating an apartment, whether the board made it mandatory or not, that's a prudent act upon yourself. Because think about the disruption of running lines later. As I mentioned, it's so inexpensive when walls are open to prepare for that. The, the other part of that equation would be, if I want to upgrade my electric, how do I do it? And board should be thinking about not these a lot of one-offs of people that are upgrading their electric. How do we do this as a building? Uh, we had one building in particular that put a trough in their stairwell, right? They didn't have an egress issue. So they put a big trough and now people could tap into that trough and run electricity to their apartments. They planned for all the apartments for the future. And we didn't even touch on what's going on in the basement. How many, how many distribution panels are left for upgrades? Do I have five left for a 100-unit building? Do I have 50 left? Do I have one left? Do I have none left? So, you know, we didn't even touch on upgrading the source of the power that's actually in the building itself. So this is all part of that study. What am I going to do to give my residents options? right? How do they live nicely? Maybe they want some of these features. So there's, there's a the human component. There's the mandatory component from the city and everything in between. I'm just curious, if a board had its head in the sand, would you say that they are not doing their fiduciary duty to get their head out of the sand to deal with this? Look, I think a lot of this is subjective. So I wouldn't say they're not doing their fiduciary duty, but I think it's prudent upon all boards to really embrace this and understand that whether they agree with it or not, right? There's been many sections of testimony. There's been articles written. Nobody wants to pay more, right? Like we could all agree with that. And we know this is going to be fairly punitive in some cases, but I think we all agree that our air needs to be cleaner, right? We, we know that. We see the weather events through the city. We just had the forest fires come through New York City. I mean, the air was not good, not directly with carbon emissions, but we need to do a better job in what we're doing as a world. So that being said, we need to embrace the fact that we need to reduce carbon emissions. We need to embrace the fact that this is not going away, or at least doesn't appear to be. It may change its form, but to say that, that I'm doing nothing is not definitely the route that we recommend to our clients. All right. Thank you very much for speaking with us today, Michael Wolf. Thank you, Carol. Always a pleasure. 